Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the US, the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Hi, guys. Today, we're speaking with Freya Bass, who started a luxury leather restoration business and then moved across the world to completely restart her business in a new way. Freya's story is not only inspiring, but also full of helpful advice and takeaways for all business owners, especially for those working with their hands. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Freya. So happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you have a pretty interesting story. So you've started a business, you've moved across the world, and you've grown this business to the point where you're hiring others and you continue to expand. So we are just so excited to hear it. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about you and where you're from and and your career so far and how you started Bags Amore? Yeah, of course. Um, So I'm from Harrogate, North Yorkshire, England. Um, and I run a handbag cleaning and restoration service here in Sydney now. Um, so we specialise in um, restoring leather on uh, designer bags, basically. But we also extend our services to shoes and jackets and other small leather goods. That's so cool. So how did you actually get into restoration? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, it's actually comes from a bit of a family business. So my stepdad... Uh, was a leather technician in the US um, and when he met my mum they partnered up and set up a training school in the UK for teaching people how to clean and restore leather. I'm sorry where is he from the US that he was a leather technician? Uh, well, he was in North Carolina. Huh cool. Yeah. Hmm. So was he doing like western wear or something in the states or do you know? No it was um, he was like training people how to clean and restore leather there as well but it was like mainly um, focused on like sofas and uh, um, car interiors and things like that. So, okay, yeah. like upholstery. Yeah, upholstery. Okay. Yep. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so he met your mum, came over to the UK with her. Yeah. And then he taught you? Yeah, so I was then, because um, he came into my life at I was quite a young age, at like 11. Um, and so I was quite like surrounded by leather um, from there really. And I used to go down into his workshop and do colour mixing with him and like, yeah, just be around the work um, like a lot of the time during my um, sort of teenage years. Um, With the smell amazing of your house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do get a bit um, used to it. uh, But uh, yeah, everyone, whenever they used to come into the workshop, would just say, oh, it smells so lovely of leather in here. New leather. (laughs) (laughs) It is a nice, such a nice smell. Yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, so they they ran that for a few years. But sadly, um, sadly you got a brain tumour and... uh, and he died uh, just Aww. while I was at university. I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, so it was pretty tough, but um, uh, I decided when I left uni to go on and uh, support my mum uh, with the business. So I just like sort of threw myself into that and was helping them with the training school. And then off the back of that, uh, started taking in handbags because uh, uh, my degree was in uh, fashion design. So I had a keen interest in Obviously, like sort of designer wear and 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 fashion in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So how old were you when all of this happened? That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Um, well, I left uni at 22. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. So you started, t- so you helped your mom run the business after your stepdad passed. Mm-hmm. And then you started taking freelance just on the side once in a while, or was it a conscious decision? Yeah. So we decided to set up um, the Hamburg Spa. It was a conscious decision, um, but I didn't really... To be honest, I didn't really um, imagine how big it would grow while I was there. Um, but I ran that there for uh, about six years, and um, we were wow. actually on Dragon's Den, um, which is like Shark Tank. Yeah, it's Shark Tank. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow. UK Shark Tank. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, that was like one of the scariest um, sort moments of, of your life. My life. <laughs> <laughs> Never ever do it again. <laughs> But you did it. So good yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I certainly had a lot of fire and passion for it when I was definitely in my early 20s. It was. Yeah. Well, yeah. adversity creates that fire a lot of the times. Like, you know, losing your stepdad, I'm sure, was not easy. Mm. And having to help your mom out in that way at such a young age, it just kind of sometimes creates a fire in your belly for people. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely, I've always had the a passion to run my own business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as well, like both my parents have been business owners, so it's sort of been something that's run in my veins, I think. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was always something that I really wanted to do, but yeah, yeah, definitely lit the fire under me when I was in my early 20s. So Yeah, so you ran your handbag business for six years, and mm-hmm. then you decided you wanted to move across the world to Australia? Yeah, yeah, a bit random. I always wanted to live <laughs> abroad. I really, yeah. I always wanted to move overseas. Um we just, uh, yeah, there's still a sense of adventure in me. Um, and I was always looking at, you know, um, trying to set up a, another hammock restoration company somewhere else as a challenge for myself. Mm. Um, so like, we had some friends in um, Sydney, me and my partner, and um, he's also got family out here. So it was a bit of a sort of no-brainer move to come to Sydney, really. And if you're listening from the U.S., she means her life partner, not her business partner. Here, uh, the, yeah. <laughs> here people will use the word partner quite freely, but back in the States, we, we typically associate that with uh, a business partner. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. We've been together too long for me to call him my boyfriend now. So <laughs> It feels weird <laughs> yeah. in your 30s, yeah? yeah in mean, the same yeah. situation. So far beyond a boyfriend now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys moved over to Australia and you were how old? Uh, 28. 28. Okay. So then what happened with the business? How did you move it over? What What did that look like? Uh, so I just decided to start afresh. I wanted to do something. I wanted to prove that I could do it off my own back and from right. scratch rather than off the back of the family business. Yeah. So I decided to set it all up again from scratch. So um, when I came over, I um, firstly just um, got all my branding sorted, set up the uh, my Instagram and Facebook okay. pages and mm-hmm. then sort of went from there. So did you, wait, how did you do that? You, did you hire someone or what did you do? For the branding? Yeah. Yeah, I actually used a company that I used in the UK um, before just because I had a, like, like a bit of a... Um, a relationship. A relationship with them, with them yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I just like, carried on with them um, and they did sort of my logo and uh, my website design. So. Yeah, and social media and stuff, marketing, like what did you do there? Uh, well, I just liked um, putting up before and after pictures, um, sort of examples of my work on social media. But in terms of like 
um, marketing my first port of call was uh, for Google Ads. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, because um, I had no um, sort of SEO on my website, um, nobody knew who I was. Yeah. So the only way to kind of get those first customers was to pay for some advertising. So I did yeah. that through Google rather than my socials um, in the early stages anyway. Okay. Was there anything different about the business in Australia than the UK that you didn't originally anticipate? Um, I do find the uh, clients are different. Like there is different terminology, Mm. you know, like we would probably more likely call it a handbag in the UK, whereas it's a bit more, it's more like just a bag here. So it's just like Mm. learning those keywords and also like a purse yeah. is actually a wallet here. Whereas like we'd only call a wallet like a, some, small. a man, like yeah. what a man would wear. Okay, but a wallet is just general purses. So, like there was there was terminology that I I had to get to grips with. Mm-hmm. Um, do they? I don't know if they do this here, but in the states they'll be like my Louis or my Birkin. Like they'll yeah. call it by like <laughs> it's almost like, like a, it's a child. Yeah, yeah. I, I do get my baby as well sometimes. Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've ne- like I respect that so much. I've never really been that girl but I yeah like, I respect it so much like yeah. you have to work hard to earn those things it's a real passion for some women like it's yeah. it literally is like a hobby an interest you know their yeah. life like they have like Louis families and things like yeah. collecting that like, yeah. designers handing collection. them down yeah mm-hmm. yeah I follow this Instagram influencer and she was talking about like she bought her Louis bag so that she could one day hand it down to her daughter. So like that was the, um, yeah, what she used instead of buying a diaper bag, she bought like a big bucket. Oh, never full. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah, know we get a lot of customers <laughs> use those as their uh, as nappy bags. Oh, really? Is this, okay, so that's a thing. Like mm-hmm. she's not. Oh wow, <laughs> they they have come a long way since my kids were little. <laughs> they used to have like whales on them. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the looks, life. <laughs> yeah. Um. So okay. So you came over to Australia. You got your branding sorted. Mm-hmm. You started marketing yourself. You mm-hmm. started Google Ads. So operationally, what did you need? Like, did you have to buy all new equipment? and stuff like what did that look like yeah I had to I had to start from scratch so I did uh, build a like made a list like and I of what I needed mm. um I still had connection with my supplier from Europe for my uh, real specialist products I do okay. get some generic products here in Australia like what I can but um I was quite keen to stick with my supplier in Europe just because I've been working with his products for so many years and I you know know the quality I know how they work and I Mm -hmm. like if I wanted to you know continue with the high level of work that we were producing in the UK I needed to have the same products to do so Mm. um so yeah I have tried some some other suppliers but he is definitely what I would consider as the best so I thought it was important to to continue that relationship with him here but yeah did you have a lot of startup costs? Like, did you get a studio straight away or did you work from home when you first got here? Um, I, while I was just doing the online, trying to establish myself online and with the website and everything, I was just working from home on the computer. But as soon as work started coming in, I did need a studio. So mm-hmm. I did actually find a, a studio in like a shared creative space. Um, oh, so fun. is it fun to be there around other creatives? Yeah, it's a super interesting space. Like we have... A, people from all walks of life and that have just different um, creative talents. So we have like ceramicists, 
DJs, yeah, product cool. engineers, artists, like everything. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And it was nice as well because like moving here and setting up a business on my own, especially in the first year, was a very solitary time. Yeah. Because like I didn't, most people when you move to another country and you get a job, mm. you'd ha- immediately make friends just by people that you work with right whereas I didn't have any like you know interaction with people necessarily yeah having that shared creative environment at least gave me some human contact yeah (laughs) you need a community yeah yeah Yeah. and that's what that offers and I think it's really nice and you know continue to to stay in a shared space like that just for the, for that community vibe. Yeah, the camaraderie. I think that's an important thing for everyone. Like, it's especially important for expats, but like people, you know, as adults, we can get so solitary, mm. you know, because we're working on like our families and our businesses and our careers and et cetera. But like joining communities and like being a part of a thriving community can so enrich your life yeah. and your business. Yeah, totally. You never know who you're going to meet. And, you know, some of these people can end up, you know, really helping you. Um, you yeah. know, with things that you might need for for the work. Um, they might be like branding experts or marketing experts. And, you know, it's just good to have that community around you might be able to help as well. Right, right. So you joined a collective eventually. And, you know, so did orders just, when you put these ads up, did they just start trickling in? Or, you know, yeah. what did that look like? Um, it was important to get some examples of my work up, which I, you know, didn't have any of from here, and I wasn't, I didn't want to use anything from um, my previous business because mm. I wanted to start from scratch, and that was the work that was produced on behalf of that company. So I thought it was important to um, start my own. So I did a couple of my items that I had, um, which was yeah, a tiny little bag and a backpack. But I actually, um, my first customer was my hairdresser. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, but a first customer can come from anywhere. Yeah, hairdressers are great first customers as well because they talk. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's um, amazing. Yeah, so I was just told him, you know, I'd just come like off the plane here and after traveling a little bit and definitely was in desperate need of a haircut. So I went there and told him what I was doing and he's like, oh my God, I've got some Gucci loafers that you could do. And I was like, okay. And that kind of like set the ball rolling. So I got, you know, good before and after shots of that. And awesome. And then the inquiries just started coming in on the website and on Instagram. Do you think um, that word of mouth has played a big role in you getting more clients? I think it's a massive part, like, especially what I do is very visual um, the type of clientele as well they're likely to have friends who have designer bags they're likely to lunch together you know so they will talk so if you provide a good service mm-hmm. um, and the quality of the work you know speaks for itself then they will tell their friends yeah um, so yeah it's, I find that really really valuable especially with what you do like it's it's evident because they're wearing it right so it's mm. like if and we all tell each other everything right in, in girls circles so if somebody ruined a bag mm. and all of a sudden they show up at the brunch with that bag and yeah. they're, they're like ah you know and then it's like good word spreads fast yeah yeah definitely it's a talking point as well especially because we do like color changes yeah um, that's cool and that you know that's a basically giving you a, a whole new bag um yeah so it is a good talking point especially like with friends if that's something that's been done and it's been done well mm. yeah what kind of services do you offer then so you so you repair 
bags and do you like restoration and colour changes? Yeah, so I I break it down into three categories really. So it's like cleaning, repair and colour work. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we do general cleaning. So you get a lot of mould here and the, with the sort of hotter climate. So we get a lot of mouldy bags in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just general cleaning, day-to-day dirt, um, and things like ink removal, dye transfer removal. Yeah. And then when with repairs, it's things like cracked edging on the handles mm. or if there's like piping coming through on the corners or like holes or scratches in, in the leather. Um, and then the colour restoration is for like faded colour or if it's scuffed on the corners and the colours come away. Or we do like colour changes as well. So if you're sick of the colour of your bag or it's a little bit beyond restoration in that colour, we can change it to a darker one. Yeah, I mean, the most brilliant thing, because I've been scrolling through your Instagram mm. mindlessly and just like looking at all the before and afters. It's so fun. But um, I think the really key service is like, trendy colors to a basic black Mm. so like everybody's got that purchase like you're like hot pink (laughs) was really in that year or something Mm. and then but you wouldn't throw that bag away if you could just make it a basic color that you can wear forever and it's timeless then yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. definitely yeah so let's talk about the eco-friendly part of this program so you've you're actually doing something where people aren't throwing something away Mm. they're restoring it yeah yeah, I think that's really important, like especially um, in this current sort of age that we live in, um, encouraging people to make do and mend rather than throw away and, and sort of supporting that fast fashion kind of mindset that we've had for so long is really important. But also, like, I think a lot of the time a designer bag is a can be an emotional purchase, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being able to, like, preserve these things rather than just have them ready for the bin is like is really important and it's um yeah it's a a great way of um at least having a small impact on the environment like yeah I think any sort of impact that you can make no matter how big or small it is important so yeah yeah I think the interesting part about this to me is this is almost like a return to what used to be like Mm. people used to have fewer things and they would take better care of them right Mm. and like things were made, you know, child labor and things like this were less prevalent because we didn't have fast fashion. Mm. Whereas now it's like we've got this, you know, mindset that everything is replaceable. But if we could go back to taking care of things Mm -hmm. in so many areas of our life, like how much better would we be as a society? Yeah. Yeah. I think artisans with real skills like you have to restore and repair. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that's like getting a revival now. Like you do, there are you know, artisans in in like many different indri- industries, I think. I think it's actually cooler and more trendy now to sort of, yeah, like go back to the way that things were done properly yeah. rather than trying, to, you know, like rather than going to a supermarket and just going and buying a batch of um, like sliced loaf, people would prefer now to go to a bakery yeah. and have it like properly made by artisans. I'm really going off on a complete. <laughs> no, I, I'm no it's person. all connected. I like it's my yeah. sourdough loaf. <laughs> yeah. Guys, so for anybody listening in the US, a loaf is a loaf of bread. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they mean bread. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, especially there's a huge return to local and a mm-hmm, huge return mm-hmm. to like being just more thoughtful and mindful in everything we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is a big part of it. And actually what you're doing probably has a more massive impact than you realize right now, because when people it's habit building, right? So when people start restoring things, 
instead of throwing them away, it starts carrying over to other areas of their lives. Like they're more thoughtful in other areas. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well as encouraging people to buy secondhand rather than buy new as well. Yeah. Because um, like what they would have, um, you know, seen as something like dirty or used is, you know, can actually be given a second life. Um, even if it, yeah. Even if it's not perfect. Yeah, now. even if it's not perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that people are offering these services everywhere? I mean, do you think like if someone's like living in the States or Canada or, you know, obviously you're from the UK, but anywhere in the world, do you think it'd be pretty easy to find someone who can do this service or is it pretty rare? Um, I mean, it's tricky. There, I mean, there are um, companies that do it around the world. However, I think in the grand scheme of things, when you look at like other industries, there aren't actually that many of us who specialise in the sort of cleaning and restoration of leather. Like mm -hmm. obviously like cobblers and like shoe repairers and like artisan leather side has been going on for, you know, centuries. Whereas I feel like what we offer is a little bit more modern day. So it's all mm -hmm. about surface repairs, like surface like refinishing of leather, mm -hmm. which is a little bit more unique. Um, so I think most countries will have a version of this. Um, but I think it, there are only a few in each country. It's not something that you you know can find everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like in the U.S., there might be one good one in each region where you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's definitely some in the U.S., but like I think with with this service, you've got to be prepared to like have to post your bag off because it's yeah, to, okay. yeah. It's unlikely you're going to have just someone doing this around the corner basically yeah do you keep do you get bags from all over or are you still just australia wide um i mean i do get requests outside of australia but obviously the uh shipping the shipping and everything it, do, it does get tricky um with customs and things like that yeah um when i was in the uk we were servicing a lot of europe we did take in bags from the us um and yeah. uh, we did have bags as far as australia but um, yeah. It's... You really got to love that bag. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you started your business in 2018 over here? Is yeah. Correct? And now it's fast forward two years, 2020. Mm -hmm. Where? What does your business look like now compared to then? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm so busy at the moment. It's insane. Um, I think especially during the pandemic, where a lot of people have found more time on their hands and therefore being able to do a bit more life admin and maybe clear out those wardrobes that they've been meaning to do. I know I certainly have managed to find some time on the weekends. Um, so, yeah, we're insanely busy. I've got two staff at the moment and I'm just about to hire another one. Wow. Um, Amazing. But yeah, it's it's grown so much quicker here um, than it did in the UK. And I don't know whether that's just because I kind of started with a knowledge of what I was doing. So, yeah, you know, I, I knew exactly what I needed to do to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it has grown really, really quickly, which is great. Second time's a charm. Yeah. <laughs> and you've also introduced a product range, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I bottle uh, the product that I get from Europe um, uh, here in Sydney so that people can clean and protect their bags at home. Mm. So it's like a great little add-on sale for sort of at-home maintenance. Oh, beautiful. So you found a need, basically, you and you just were like, okay, this is an ad service. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think certain products on the market, like or certain protectors that can be used on leather, um, can actually affect the um, the ability to restore them afterwards if they've got, mm. like, silicones in them. Gotcha. I, yeah, I really 
discourage people using protectors with silicone in like waterproofing sprays mm-hmm. on leather. So therefore I think it was important to be able to offer a product range of my own that, um, you know, I truly believe in and like truly know that works. Yeah, the thing um, you would use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I do get asked all the time after the work's been done, you know, like how do I look after it now? Mm. And it's like if I, yeah, I thought it was important to be able to off- extend my offering um to bottle product that people can use at home rather than them just saying like I'll oh, just send it in <laughs> yeah 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 well rather than charging them over yeah and over. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's awesome you've also got a really great video that shows what the handbag looks like or what leather looks like before you protect it with one of your products compared to if it's not protected and then you have different um, like substances spilled on there like mm. oil and water oh that's fun which is so interesting to see I think yeah it was yeah. I, I love how your your social and, and the content that you're making is so visual I think that's a great tip for someone who's a craftsperson that is building a business is actually to use photos and video content on yeah. social to show before and afters to show like how it all works absolutely yeah. like instagram is my biggest seller like i i call instagram my shop window yeah mm-hmm. you know it's the way that people have an insight into the services um see the before and afters but i also use the stories function as much as possible to sort of show the progress of the work and the behind the scenes um so like it's it's good for people to have that insight of the brand um, must build trust as well mm, if they're sending yeah, their two thousand dollar bag to you that yeah, you're right. really careful and looking after mm. it yeah, yeah exactly so what tips or insights like there are people you know getting made redundant and laid off all over the world right mm. um so they might have skills like maybe they grew up in a family where they were taught how to build things or something like you know mm-hmm. what i mean are some of the things that you would tell women who want to start businesses where they're providing a service or making something with their hands yeah um I think record your journey I think that it's really important to be able to showcase your talent and showcase what you do and I think no matter like how professional your setup is to begin with mm. um or how much work you have to show I think just start showing it like you've yeah. got to start somewhere I've seen a lot of people who try and like um their biz- they want their business to look like fully set up and fully right. ready and like oh, we're really professional and um, right from the get-go. And right. then they always struggle to actually get to a point where they can actually start because they feel like everything has to be perfect. And something yeah. that I've realized is like you just have to begin and let it grow. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you don't have to seem like a, you know, an absolute expert um, or, you know, I'm trying to think of the word. Perfectionist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think just just begin and don't try and um, get everything set up all in one go. Don't try and buy everything all in one go. Don't try and, um, you know, have the full setup, at, you know, a workshop or a store. Like, you don't need that shop front immediately. Like, even if you are just starting on your kitchen table, um, that's perfectly fine. Um yeah. And that's my sort of... Just yeah. go for it. Yeah, just go just for it. Go it's for my it. best advice, really. Just begin. Yeah, just begin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just start taking those pictures, get a little website going. Like, it's amazing what you can achieve from, you know, just your laptop at home and then just grow it from there. That's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. I'm thinking, I'm like, mm, maybe I should get myself a bag now, find one in a secondhand <laughs> shop, <laughs> take it to this wizard of leather. <laughs> <laughs> she honestly is. 
I haven't had a nice handbag since, oh God, years. <laughs> One of the things um, that you can do is like buy stuff from like eBay and then send it to Freya and she'll spruce it up. Make it yeah. perfect. Wow. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, women who are just not even in this business or not, you know, just working in completely different fields. I'm sure now there's going to be like a movement <laughs> of like people who have listened to this who are like, oh, I don't need to save up to buy brand new Louboutins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I can find a restorer. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. If someone wanted to find you and your business, Freya, what should they look for on Instagram and your website? My website is bagsamore.com.au and my Instagram handle is bagsamore underscore. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It has been a joy. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great. Great to speak to you. Thank you for inspiring everyone. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right. Chat soon once I find that bag I need you yeah. to <laughs> I'll be waiting for your pictures. Oh, good. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank All right. You. Bye, Freya. This podcast was brought to you by invoice to go We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. And... We're helping close the gender-based pay gap because the current U.S. gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%. Listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EmpowerWomen at checkout.